Hello, Looney listeners. You are listening to episode 29 of Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. I will be your host for tonight, Ray, and uh, this episode will be uh, looking at two issues, a classic run, uh, Hulk Magazine, Volume 1, Number 11, Graven Image of Death, as well as a modern run, which is a continuation of Charlie Houston's Moon Knight, Volume 5, Issue 2. Uh, alongside that, we'll have news as always, so please, grab your issues out, sit back, relax, and get your conchu on. Yes, welcome back, loonies. I am going Han Solo tonight. Uh, just myself, Ray, doing this episode of Into the Night. Uh, glad to have you with with me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, I guess. I'm um, I'm going uh, this episode by myself. Connor's unavailable, unfortunately, um, so he'll be back. Uh, next issue or next episode Um, but in the meantime 29 uh this uh episode uh yeah we'll be looking at the classic issues of of moon knight in in the hulk magazine as well as uh the continuation of charlie houston's um volume five uh of moon knight issue number two uh we also are very fortunate to have uh, another guest narrator with us this time round, it is Sean from Only the Valiant, uh, the Valiant comic radio podcast. Uh, they are a fantastic podcast. Uh, if you if you like comics and if you read Valiant comics, uh, these guys are right on top of their game. They uh, issue, well, they review all the issues every week, and they come uh, they come out uh, every week on the week as well reviewing all the current issues of Valiant. So um, really, really exciting to have Sean uh, guest narrate the two issues up for grabs this episode. So um, I guess before we start going into the reviews, uh, I guess just news-wise, again, there were uh, just like a handful of news uh, news articles this week. if we start from the first one I, I saw was uh, that DC Comics artist David Finch, who uh, aptly uh, draws the the Houston comics, which we're reviewing just recently in our in our modern run, uh, he'll be appearing at uh, MCM Birmingham's Comic Con. Uh, so he's definitely a a guy to to catch up and see if uh, if you're around that area and if you do the Comic Con scene. Uh, unfortunately, myself being in Australia, have next to no chance to actually going there. But um, yeah, if you're around there um, and you are a Looney or a, a Moon Knight fan, please try and check him out. Uh, he'll be there. I think that is in mid to late March. So, so um, definitely something to to check out. Uh, the second bit of news that we have that's Mooney related. Again, it's more. Uh, past Moon Knight alumni. Uh, there's an article here uh, on Jeff Lemire, and and basically his new series coming out on Image called Gideon Falls. So there's been a bit of uh, there's been a, a bit of a swell uh, about this uh, new series coming out through Image, uh, and anyone who has read any of Jeff Lemire's stories uh, will know that he is hot property at the moment. So uh, he 
spoke to another writer who is also a journalist, uh, Pornsack Pichachote. I'm really terrible with names, but uh, they basically have a dialogue in that article, uh, and they they talk about both of their series. So uh, Jeff Lemire's is on Gideon Falls, um, and Pichachote is, is on uh, is on Infidel. So um, it's a really interesting article as well. Uh, uh, Lemire touches a little bit on his Moon Knight run, um, basically how uh, how satisfied he was with it and how, how happy he was uh, with the, I guess, the final product and how that kind of informed him uh, in in um, in pursuing and writing Gideon Falls. Uh, he also mentions in the article as well, like kind of like the origin of Gideon Falls, which is kind of, you know, kind of interesting. Um, he was in film school, I believe, in the early, early 90s, uh, and he actually made a short film, and one of his friends uh, played, I think, Norton, who's the the lead uh, character in Gideon Falls. Anyway, um, the idea of, of the story has been kind of bubbling for a while, and I guess uh, he's drawn upon the story and characters which are, you know, around about 20 years old um, to bring us his new series. Uh, it looks pretty cool. It's a, it's a horror book predominantly, and Lemieux mentions he's not, you know, not per se a horror fan, but uh, but he's found it very enjoyable to work with Sorrentino again. And for comic fans out there, you'd um, know that uh, Jeff Lemieux and Sorrentino have collaborated previously before uh, in the two, the big two publishers. I guess the first was at DC with Green Arrow, and, uh, and later on, with uh, with Old Man Logan, um, and actually this was also one of the impetus impetai, <laughs> um, one of the reasons why um, Lemieux wanted to get into this story. Uh, he wanted to work with Sorrentino again, so it seems they have a very good relationship, um, both writer and artist. And uh, yeah, and it, it, it's something definitely worth checking out, Looney. So uh, I might um, I might dip my toe in this as well. I believe Connor has uh, has read a a preview issue, the first issue, and and from what I hear, it's it's pretty good. So uh, definitely worth checking out if you can. Uh, finally, for news, we also have uh, one of these articles came out again. And it was through Screen Rant. And basically, if I can just open that up now, uh, it's one of those ones which have like 10 heroes coming soon to the MCU uh, and 10 that fans will have to wait for. So, again, you know, this this kind of speculates on, <clears throat> on characters coming up and uh, characters that we want to see. And the quick rundown of it, um, look, it's... Uh, it varies. It's got, um, so from, from number 20, it's got Captain Marvel, which is coming soon. Uh, it's got Ghost Rider, which they reckon they'll have to wait. Like we've seen Ghost Rider before, uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Robbie Reyes. Uh, and there's speculation about Johnny Blaze, um, coming back onto the big screen under the, the Marvel umbrella, which is pretty cool. Uh, again, Cloak and Dagger, it says coming soon. So we all know that's, uh, finished production and, uh, that will be released the 7th of June this year. So that's obviously a, a definite. Um, bear with me here, loonies. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this article. <laughs> um, then we have next up, uh, Fantastic Four, which it says, 
we have to wait. So again, that's more like speculation. Um, for those of you in the know, uh, Marvel have reacquired uh, the licenses for Fantastic Four and the X-Men. But um, Feige himself mentioned that they've got no immediate plans for both the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. So... Um, I guess it will be, it might be something they're holding on to and waiting for, uh, you know, phase four, phase five, you know, down the track once the Avengers kind of, um, come to a, a sensible conclusion. Um, and yeah, so anyway, they're, um, they're on, on the cards. Uh, we have Adam Warlock, Adam Warlock, uh, and that's, uh, noted as coming soon as well. Uh, again, for, for Marvel or, or comic fans out there, they would know that in the Guardians of the Galaxy um, Volume 2, the sequel, uh, there was made mention of Adam Adam Warlock as well. So we know he's coming. So uh, this is pretty much not an, an if, it's, it's kind of like a when. Uh, then we have Blade as another on the list, and that is listed as have to wait. So I reckon they're thinking, well... Um, you may or may not come on screen. It would be nice to see, you know, I don't know, maybe Wesley Snipes or someone else take over the, the Blade mantle, but it would be nice to see um, Blade back uh, under the MCU. Uh, it's got also Miles Morales as coming soon. So we know that um, Miles Morales will be featuring um, in an animated movie. Uh, and... Um, it's called Into the Spider-Verse, and it's coming out late 2018. So this is pretty much a given, and um, uh, we are to expect Miles Morales uh, on screen in animated form. Uh, you know, he's, he's kind of indirectly alluded to in Spider-Man Homecoming as well, through through Donald Glover, who I believe was the um, was the uncle. I think well, he had some connection to Miles Morales, so we know Miles is in that universe somewhere. Um, so anyway, he uh, has been listed as coming soon. So bear with me, Louise. I'm still getting getting somewhere. Um, next, we have Silver Surfer, and noted down as have to wait. So similar to Fantastic Four, um, I believe the um, the property has come over to the MCU again. But uh, like the Fantastic Four, uh, I guess they're just biding their time to uh, to use the Silver Surfer uh, in a significant way, I guess as well, rather than just dropping him in. He's a a rather big a big character in the Marvel universe, so um, they'd have to kind of get him right, I guess. Uh, we also have here Mister Immortal actually makes the list, and he's listed as coming soon because. We all know that there is, uh, or there's going to be, a new Warriors TV show. Um, so I'm not too sure where it's kind of at at the moment with new Warriors. I know um, it's been mentioned that they'd have a show. They've cast them. Um, I believe there might be a bit of bit of um, bit of delays here and there. Um, oh, they, actually, in this article though, it does say it's coming out this summer. So. Uh, so yeah, um, it might might well be in production now. Um, I'll have to double check on that, Loonies. I'm not too sure, but anyway, it is listed as coming soon. Um, so um, that's again a, a a when, not an if. Uh, then we have the X Men have to wait. So similar to Fantastic Four, it's got the same. I guess it, it was reacquired again, um, but no immediate plans. 
Uh, Squirrel Girl comes in next, coming soon. Again, she's part of the New Warriors, so she'll be in the TV show. Um, it'll be great to see her. Um, coming in at number nine, Beta Ray Bill, Have to Wait. So, um, so although there was a, um, a golden statue of Beta Ray Bill apparently in Thor Ragnarok, I actually missed that. Um, so he's floating around in the universe somewhere. I guess there is no, um, there is no immediate plans for Beta Ray Bill to feature. Uh, apparently Feige has also confirmed that there was a, um, a longer sequence. Uh, that kind of alluded more to Beta Ray Bill that was cut from Thor Ragnarok. So uh, he's definitely been on the cards, um, but as to whether or not he will, you know, feature more prominently, um, it, it's kind of up to speculation. Uh, there's also, it goes on to the new Guardians of the Galaxy, so coming soon. Um, so again, we do know that James Gunn has said that he will take on Volume 3, uh, and it will apparently set up the next decade of Marvel movies. So it's a pretty big call, and it's a pretty significant thing that is coming soon. Quasar, have to wait, which is a bit of a shame, because I really do like Quasar. <laughs> um, just just my opinion. Uh, it'll be really cool to see him in action, especially since they're expanding on the cosmic universe. Um, but, you know, um, uh he, he's definitely on the card. He, he's linked to the, the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, and he's been, been teased by James Gunn in name only, uh, so he could well turn up, but there's no confirmation of it. Now, in this article, number six, this is what I was coming to, and this is what I thought was quite interesting, Loonies. Number six is Moon Knight, and he's not listed as have to wait. He's listed as coming soon. So, unlike Blade... Or Ghost Rider. Um, this is apparently, well, it's kind of alluding to that it's not speculation that he is coming soon, similar to Guardians of the Galaxy 3, similar to Squirrel Girl, similar to Mr. Immortal. So all the, um, the previous ones that I've mentioned, which, um, are, uh, a when, not an if, um, the Moon Knight seems to be listed as um, as it will, he will definitely feature. Um, and it says here in the article, Netflix was rumored to be thinking about a series. Um, and apparently a movie has been kicking around the Marvel Studios. Uh, but there have no, there have been no plans that have finalized it yet. So, I don't know, take it with a grain of salt, loonies, but it does mention here that, um, Moon Knight is really, really knocking at the door, um, to, to enter the MCU or, to enter the uh, the small screen, so this is what really kind of piqued my interest, um, yeah, and which is, I guess, relevant to to this podcast. Um, uh, and then we have uh, the final five here: Young Avengers, which is mentioned as having to wait, um, so that would include the likes of um, Wiccan, uh, Hulkling, I guess Kate Bishop. She'll be awesome. Uh, and uh, American Chavez. Um, then it has also the Wasps coming soon. So it mentions that there might be something beyond um, beyond Ant-Man and the Wasp and potentially uh, something to do with Hope Van Dyne and, and Janet Van Dyne. So depending on what happens in the movie, um, which is released uh, July 6th of this year, 
with um, Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, uh, there might potentially be something, um, might be a Wasps movie. Uh, the final three, we have Man-Thing, as I have to wait, which uh, I can see is probably not really um, not really relevant. It needs a bit more of a, a mystical angle to the Marvel Universe, um, or to the MCU, um, which Doctor Strange has introduced. Uh, so we might, we might see the Man-Thing, but uh, at the moment it's just kind of pure speculation. Uh, again, number two, we have Shuri uh, as coming soon. So... I actually, um, just uh, less than an hour ago, I came out of the cinemas and I, I watched uh, Black Panther, which I'm sure a lot of the loonies uh, will be doing as well. Uh, it, w- it was a great movie. No spoilers. Um, there, are, there are podcasts out there that will review it, so I won't um, speak too much of it. Other than uh, Shuri was in it, and she was fantastic in it. And for comic fans, uh, you probably know that she takes on the mantle of Black Panther as well. So... Um, I think it's very much a, a possibility that we could see Shuri in Black Panther sequels potentially taking up the mantle of, of Black Panther. Uh, at the moment, the success of Black Panther in the box office, I guess it's it's most assuredly getting a sequel, if not um, a part three as well, to make it a trilogy, um, a highly successful film. Uh, and it would be great to see Shuri as, as the Black Panther. She has done very well. Uh, in the role. And number one, as I have to wait, so it's um, just purely a rumour, would be Spider-Gwen. It's got here. Uh, and I think she'd be pretty cool. Um, I think she'd be pretty uh, a pretty interesting character to fit in. Uh, Spider-Man's always been popular, I think, in the box office. And uh, and this will be a good opportunity for a uh, another strong female lead um, to take, you know, to take on a big Marvel tentpole film. So, um yeah, nothing really planned for that, but, uh, but, you know, that would be great. I mean, I'd like to see She-Hulk. We've mentioned this before as well. She-Hulk would have been really cool. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd take Spider-Gwen as well. Um, I'd watch that definitely. Uh, so yeah, anyway, so this article, it did have as number six Moon Knight, and I just wanted to point out there a, um, coming soon. So, does that mean that we are definitely going to get a Moon Knight? Um, on screen or not. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, there are a lot of factors that will play into this. Uh, as we've mentioned before as well, uh, Marvel um, setting up, establishing their own streaming service, um, which could could work in the favour. Uh, Netflix not taking on board any more Marvel characters, apparently. So that's kind of shut that option off. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things that could actually go for and against Moon Knight coming on screen, but we'll, uh, we'll just have to see. Right, loonies. So, I think, um, without further ado, we might try and go over the moon. <gasps> yes, so, we are going to go over the moon this uh, this episode. And as mentioned, uh, there was a slight change of plan. We did say last episode that uh, Chris from Defenders TV Podcast will be joining us. Uh, he's a big Spider-Man fan. And it would have been um, quite... 
I be I think it would have been quite suitable to have him come on to talk about um, Moon Knight's appearance uh, in Spectacular Spider-Man, which he does feature in issues 22 and 23. So we've had that lined up, and those are technically the next appearances in the classic uh, chronology of Moon Knight throughout comics. But uh, unfortunately, Chris has been a bit crook, so um, first and foremost... Chris, I hope you um, hope you're feeling better, uh, and are looking forward to um, to speaking with you next episode. Um, so, for this episode, we'll put the Spider-Man uh, Spider-Man issues on hold, and uh, look, we'll just jump to the next classic run, which um, which is funnily enough in a Hulk magazine. So, uh, the Incredible Hulk, I guess, with the um, success of the TV show. Uh, they Marvel tried to, I guess, promote it even more by by releasing a, a magazine rather than a comic book of the Incredible Hulk, in the hope that I guess it would garner more exposure to people uh, and potentially more sales. Now, with the Hulk uh, magazine, you know, being being a rather, uh, I think it was like fifty, sixty pages long, uh, there was an opportunity to to have a backup story. And, uh, and so the Hulk magazine obviously featured the Hulk predominantly, but there was an option to actually, for Marvel to, um, I guess expose, um, fans of the Hulk or fans of comic books, uh, to other characters. So, um, along the lines, Moon Knight kind of came along and, uh, and they decided, okay, well, this might be a good, good chance because Moon Knight is, uh, very much different from the Hulk. Like he's very a street level character, um, and it's a good opportunity to um, to have a bit of a contrast. So, um, so with the magazine, after the main Hulk story, there's actually a Moon Knight story, and we're looking at. Um, I think it, it spans across oh, maybe four or five issues, uh, but we're looking at issue eleven, which has um, which has the uh, part one of. Of the Moon Knight, um, Moon Knight uh, story. I'm just pulling it up here now on my tablet. Uh, we're lucky enough, also, again, as mentioned in the intro, we do have uh, a, a very cool guest narrator. Um, now, I, I approached um, I approached Sean from Only the Valiant uh, to see if he wanted to do a guest narration for the show. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Valiant Comics, and I'm a big fan of Only the Valiant. Uh, these guys have been going on for, you know, well over a hundred uh, podcast episodes, and without fault, they come in week in, week out uh, with the reviews of the latest Valiant comics. Um, so, look, I, I threw a line out there, and I asked Sean, and um, actually, uh, he's been so uh, accommodating, I guess, because. Uh, Sean, uh, recently he got, got engaged and he got married, uh, around the new year. So, uh, he had a lot on his plate to organize, uh, and he had a podcast to look after as well. Uh, but he managed to find some time to, to actually not only do our guest narrations, but he actually tracked down the two issues that he's going to be narrating and he had a good read. And I do believe he might be continuing with the Houston run. So hopefully we can, um, Hopefully we can hook him into the Mooney goodness. <laughs> um, so anyway, we do have Sean. Um, he will be narrating um, the first classic run for us, 
which is Hulk uh, Volume 1, Issue 11, Graven Image of Death. Uh, and it was released October 1978 with writer Doug Mensch, uh, artist Gene Colan, and inker Tony De Zuniga. So without further ado, I'll throw it to Sean for his bare bones. What's up, Into the Night listeners? This is Sean from Only the Valiant, and I am going to tell you a tale. A tale of Moon Knight and treasures and danger. Of course, I'm providing the narration for Hulk Magazine number 11. This story is the graven image of death. Moon Knight scours the streets of New York in search of a killer. Three murders have occurred, and Moon Knight eyes a shady customer whom he believes to be behind at least some of them. Before he can glide down on his cape to apprehend the suspect, the man pulls a gun on a spectacled man walking out of an office and shoots him dead. Moon Knight can only watch as the man empties the victim's pockets and flees. Rather than chase him as Moon Knight, however... The caped Avenger restrains himself and flees in the other direction, intent on catching the perpetrator with another plan. The killer finally stops running and decides to hail a cab to hasten his retreat. He gets in and is greeted with a rather chatty driver, who introduces himself as Jake Lockley. They arrive at the mansion of Joel Luxor, and just as the man is about to begrudgingly pay his fare, Lockley shocks him by calling him out as a murderer! Before the man can react. Lockley removes his attire to reveal Moon Knight underneath, and he launches himself at the criminal, finally pinning him to a tree with a crescent dart, which I call a moonering. Moon Knight questions him, and it's discovered that the man was hired by Luxor, the owner of the mansion, to kill the poor victim in the street and retrieve a key which he had in his possession. Moon Knight grabs the key, ties up the criminal, and leaves him in the back of the cab as he goes to investigate. Luxor is seen with an associate playing pool when Moon Knight crashes their game. Busy with Luxor's associate, who it turns out is his bodyguard, Moon Knight cannot prevent Luxor being shot by a bullet from outside. It kills Luxor, but not before the sniper fires off another bullet into the wall nearby. Moon Knight quickly calls in Marlene to assist with the case. He asks Marlene to come to Luxor's mansion and search for anything suspicious before calling in the police to report the murder. Before leaving, Moon Knight etches out the bullet lodged in the wall and discovers that it's an old-fashioned bullet, most likely fired from a musket. With bullet and key in hand, Moon Knight races back outside but is surprised to see his cab and the criminal in it gone. The Fist of Conchu calls on Frenchie to fly in and pick him up and take him to the fourth estate, that being the Sun-Times newspaper office. Pretty nice to have a friend with a helicopter, just saying. So anyhow, Moon Knight arrives at the Sun-Times and pays a visit to one of his contacts there, Kurt. It so happens that the keys stolen and intended for Luxor belong to a storage unit at the newspaper's office. Kurt takes Moon Knight to the locker of Jim Polhouse, a features writer, and in it is a manuscript detailing a statuette of Horus and how Luxor intends to claim it. It goes on to say that the statuette is in the personal care of Fenton Crane, an assistant curator at the museum. 
Frenchie takes Moon Knight to the museum as Mooney suspects that the authentic statuette is in Crane's hand and a fake is being exhibited at the museum. His suspicions prove correct, and Moon Knight's sleuthing also discovers a missing musket. Ooh, musket, eh? From the wall. The same sort of gun that could have been fired upon Joel Luxor just moments ago. With suspicion mounting, Moon Knight once again asks Frenchie to take him to Crane's apartment in the hope to find more clues, or, better yet, Crane himself. When he gets there, Crane's apartment is empty. No sign of Crane or the statuette. Lastly, Moon Knight checks the closet where out falls the unnamed criminal Moon Knight apprehended earlier, still bound and gagged. Turns out he wasn't contracted by Luxor, but another rival collector, Anton Varro. Luxor had contracted Crane to kill Polehouse in order to retrieve the key, but Crane was beaten to it by the unnamed criminal, now lying bound at the feet of Moon Knight. Convinced that Crane doesn't have the statuette, Moon Knight leaves the bound criminal to the police and heads for Luxor's mansion once again. It's the only place Crane would go if he's in search of the statuette. With Marlene there investigating on his behalf, however, Moon Knight fears for her safety. Just as he arrives, BAM! He hears a gunshot from inside the mansion. Marlene stands in terror with a gunshot to her arm and a crazed Fenton Crane armed with a musket. He demands she tell him the whereabouts of the horse statuette or the next shot will be her death. And it leaves us with that five out of five cliffhanger tamo ending. Great. Thank you, Sean. That was a, a cool, a cool, um, passionate reading of, uh, Moon Knight, uh, issue 11 from the Hulk magazine, Graven Image of Death. Uh, it was, uh, certainly a, a very, uh, involved issue. Let's just say that. Uh, and I guess, um, after hearing that synopsis, um, we'll go into, uh, into our four aspects. Uh, again, for those who are maybe first-time listeners to this podcast, what Connor and I usually do is that we have a bare bones, which um, a guest narrator narrates for us, which was kindly shown uh, this instance. And then we name four main aspects. So these are, I guess, four main themes of the, the story or, or more four main points of the issue that really kind of stood out. Um and I guess kind of encapsulated this issue. Uh, after that, there are a couple of notes, uh, you know, any smaller points, and then we usually end that with crescent dart ratings, so out of five crescent darts. Uh, since it's just uh, just yours truly this episode, uh, I've got the four main aspects here for this issue. Uh, before I, w- I go into that, the the, um, the main impressions of this issue... Um, Look, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the art was very solid. Actually, I, I really enjoyed the art. Um, it was quite, Gene Collins' art is, um, is really cool. It, it um, it has a, a bit more realistic, uh, look to it rather than a comic booky look. If you were to contrast it with, uh, the Charlie Houston and David Finch issue, which we'll do in the modern run, uh, yeah, the artwork is, is a little bit more realistic. 
um, fantastic detailing as well. Uh, and the story, I thought, was um, was pretty good. Doug Minch has a good go at it. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a, a little dense, which I'll get into in the um, in the four aspects. Uh, and it, it involved a little bit of um, toing and froing, I guess, just to to get a get a hold of the characters because um, Monch. I keep on saying Monch or Mench. <laughs> He's the same guy, but, but Doug Monch, um, he really does introduce a lot of characters here to, to get the plot going. Um, but yeah, overall it was quite enjoyable. It was very much a thing of its time as well. Uh, but, um, yeah, as an introduction to Moon Knight, uh, yeah, it did a, it did a pretty good job. Um, compared to, we did a panel by panel last episode, of, which was essentially, uh, a reintroduction of Moon Knight by Charlie Houston. Um, I still think Charlie Houston's introduction of Moon Knight was was far far better. It was a lot more succinct and um, and it kind of encapsulated everything of the character a lot more than say what this story does. Um, but uh, yeah, it still has its its, its good points. Um, okay, so if I'm to go into our four main aspects for this um, story. The first one that I put was basically the significance of the statuette. So, one of the main themes, I guess, of this story is is the location. Uh, everyone's looking for this statuette of Horace. Uh, and in this issue so far, we don't know what the significance is or what, you know, what it will give to the person who has it. Um, is it just valuable for money or, or does it... Um, does it have any supernatural elements to it? Would it would it um, give the holder of it uh, any any powers or anything like that? Or does it have something within it? Like, is it a, just a case for for something um, that everyone's looking for? You know, um, just off the top of my head, is it like a is there a, a microchip or, or some valuable map or something inside? Anyway, this is the um, the main object that is. Um, that everyone in the story is kind of after. Uh, and as we go through the story, we don't see it, but we see a lot of characters that are willing to to kill for it as well. Um, and uh, this kind of kind of wraps into my other um, main aspects as well. So, uh, so look, I, I'll start talking about that as well because it, it all kind of intertwines. Um so the significance of the statuette, there's a lot of people that are after it. Um, and one of the other main aspects I had was basically Monch's um, storytelling. And I have here in my notes, I did say it was a little convoluted um, because uh, when I did this, when I first read this issue, uh, it was it was quite difficult, I thought, to follow. There were a lot of characters introduced um and there were a lot of, uh, how shall I say, I guess, double takes. Um, so the way I saw it was, okay, so if we were to distill this storyline in as simple as, you know, view as possible, what we have are these characters. We have Joel Luxor, Luxor who is a wealthy person who wants these statuettes. We have Fenton Crane, who's a curator, who seems to have double-crossed Joe, Joel Luxor for it by um, 
by swapping the authentic statuette with a fake one uh, and taking the real one. We have Jim Paulhouse, who is the reporter who seemingly knows about all this and has created a manifesto or a document which which kind of reveals this secret, uh, which is tied into the key that we saw at the very beginning. And then we also have Anton Varro and this unnamed assassin, which Moon Knight comes across uh, at the beginning as well. So this assassin that killed Jim Paulhouse for the key, uh, he was working for another, um, I think, a wealthy person or another um, entrepreneur, entrepreneur or, uh, or artifact collector who wanted this statuette as well. Now... <laughs> that's as, as simple as, as I can kind of describe it. Um, but there's a lot of double takes. Um, so what Monch does is that uh, we originally think that this unnamed assassin is working for Joel Luxa because um, Moon Knight tracks him back to the Luxor mansion. But what we find out later that he wasn't um, there for Joel Luxer. And we find out that Joel Luxer gets shot by someone else and the unnamed assassin drives away. So we're left thinking, okay, is this Fenton Crane who has employed this unnamed assassin to um, somehow kill Joel Luxer? Uh, so it is, there, there's a level of confusion, I guess, to this story, which... Um, which made it a little hard to follow, and I think Munch really um, introduced maybe uh, uh, um, one too many characters, I think. Um, it, it did make for an interesting kind of detective kind of story, and that's uh, one of my other aspects as well. We, we see Moon Knight here definitely as a detective. Um, he doesn't, like, we are finding out alongside Moon Knight what is going on. Um, and we know that the statue is needed. Um, Joel Luxer um, is, is murdered uh, for it. Um, and we actually haven't even seen in statue. And Jim Polhouse is murdered for it as well, which is the key, uh, which unlocks uh, his locker, which had the manifesto, which Moon Knight later finds, um, as mentioned in the, the synopsis. So it, it, there is a bit of a tangled web here with the storytelling, and I, I did find that a little bit disconcerting when reading it. Um, it's because, and, and it's because these are secondary characters as well. So I was kind of constantly kind of going back and forth, trying to find out who was who and what was their um, relationship to to the next person. Um, yeah. So so anyway, so I found that a, a little bit of a. a you know, foggy haze when it came to the story writing, but it was it was absolutely one of the main aspects of it. That's one of the things that I I, I, I kind of went away from. Uh, I took away from this um, this issue. Uh, the final um, aspect. So I, so I had the uh, the statuette. I had Moench's storytelling and Moon Knight as detective. Uh, the final aspect I would say. Uh, would be Moon Knight support crew. I mean, we do see. We we also know Moon Knight is very much of a lone, a lone person, a lone wolf. Uh, but we see here a heavy dependency not only 
uh, on Marlene, which he he calls upon her to uh, to basically check out the Luxor Mansion. Has her as a as a not a spy, but I guess um, as a trying to find some clues. So uh, yeah, so she's she's very much taking on a role that's um, that's kind of you know beyond what her profession is. She's an archaeologist. But um, she's joining in Moonlight in these escapades um, to to try and solve this um, this crime. So it's good to see that Marlene's involved in there. Um, unfortunately, she um, at the end she uh, she's caught out by by Fenton Crane, and um, and we're left with with him pointing a, a musket at her and um, and her being in in some trouble. Uh, but yeah, but she's uh, she's featured in the story as well as um, as Frenchie. So we have the Mooncopter in its early iteration, very much uh, not looking like a moon at all. Um, if you remember our last episode, we talked about the moon, uh, the moon jet, I guess it was, or the Mooncopter in in Houston's run, which is very much in the shape of a moon. Uh, this is your, your kind of early standard. Uh, nondescripts. I don't know what it is. It, it looks like a futuristic helicopter, but it's um, aesthetically, it's not really that, um, you know, that appealing. Anyway, uh, we have Frenchie here, which Moon Knight relies on constantly throughout the issue to get him um, to and from places. So it had him going, um, picking him up from Luxor Mansion, uh, and also dropping him off uh, at the museum as well. Uh, so Frenchie's uh, very much your um, your, 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 I guess your sidekick at the moment, and he um, he takes Moon Knight from place to place. Uh, so they're very much a team. Um, so with Moon Knight, Frenchie, and Marlene, they're very much working all together. Um, just with Moon, Moon Knight spearheading uh, the operations. But um, look, we see Moon Knight again in his. Uh, it's still in his very classic costume. So he's got the um, the cape connected to his wrists. Uh, he's, he's all in white. His face is, is pure white as well. Uh, still has his crescent darts and his truncheon. Um, but yeah, he's, he's very, he's looking very classic. Um, and he still glides with his glider cape. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, um, I guess if we were to look at crescent dart ratings, what would give this? Uh, I would give this one probably, probably three crescent darts out of five. Uh, it was solid enough for me. It, it, it definitely, uh, you know, it wasn't an outstanding issue as well. Um, if anything, I did like the art. It, it, some points were taken off, I guess, from Monch's story being um, a bit too too heavy with a lot of characters and, and trying to, I don't know, overcomplicate things. Uh, but I guess when you do a, a, a mystery or detective story... You've got to wrap it in layers, so I understand what he was trying to do, but um, I found it a little confusing at times as well. So I gave it a three. Um, also, I mean, I, yeah, the art was the art was great. Um, yeah, I think three was um, three is a pretty decent score. Uh, any? Oh, actually, I forgot to mention some notes as well. Um, I only had a couple of notes here. Uh, and in, I think, stark contrast to last issue, uh, it was funny, like last issue, oh, not last issue, sorry, my fault, my bad, um, we did mention it in Bemis and Burroughs' latest run, where Moon Knight dons the mask and uh, 
is only down to his boxes and his uh, his business shirt. Um, in stark contrast to that, we have we have here your tropey um, Moon Knight is dressed as Jake Lockley, taking the unnamed assassin in the cab, uh, and then Wooshka, he uh, he strips off his um, his jacket and his and his pants all in one fell swoop, and he's in full Moon Knight costume. So I thought that was uh, <laughs> a sign of the times again. Really, uh, you know, realistically, how is that ever going to happen? You know, unless he's got one of those um, fake trousers and, and shirts, which you can just rip off with Velcro. Uh, I thought that was quite funny, particularly considering that we mentioned that before. Uh, the other note that I had as well, and I think this is a common a common thing with um, with Moon Knight, uh, and and maybe. More so with, um, with, uh, I guess runs around him and stories around him. Maybe of this time as well. He seems to kind of always just miss out on saving people before they get killed. And I think that, you know, Moon Knight is a grim character. Look, he, he doesn't kill, uh, he doesn't seem to kill many people. Uh, and we'll talk about that later on in the, in the Houston run, uh, the next review. Uh, but he he seems to just miss out. So if we look at the beginning, uh, he's stalking, you know, on the roofs of New York. Uh, he's trying to trying to kind of crack this uh, triple murder that's happened so far. And uh, poor Jim Polhouse, we find out uh, it's too late. He gets he gets shot in the stomach by um, by someone by the unnamed assassin. And Moonlight, Moon Knight is, um, is just too slow to, to, to get there and react. Uh, second as well, when we go to Joel Luxell's mansion, uh, again, okay, this was a bit, a bit hard for Moon Knight anyway. So Moon Knight crashes Luxell's mansion and he, uh, he kind of tries to inter- interrogate Joel and, uh, and his, uh, his, uh, he's got a bodyguard there as well. So Moon Knight, you know, battles with, um, with Lux's bodyguard, but um, before he can do anything, Lux is um, shot from a bullet, uh, which comes from outside as well, and he's killed. Uh, again, it's unfortunate that he's not able to, to do anything. I just thought that was quite interesting that, you know, he's a superhero, and um, and I guess you can be seen that he, he kind of fails a couple of times, um, but he's trying his best, and, and I guess there's no way that he can actually... Well, there's no way that he could stop that bullet from the window, um, but he certainly, I thought, could have tried to apprehend that gentleman at the beginning um, if he looked a bit shady. Um, but let's just say that he missed that. So, uh, yeah, so he's he's uh, he's got two dead bodies, not to his name, but um, would be on his conscience. Uh, so yeah. So anyway, Lenny's. Um, yep. Three crescent darts out of five, I think, for that issue. Uh, quite quite interesting. Um, and we'll continue. I think the next. Um, uh, I think I think the uh, Moon Knight in the Hulk magazines go up to issue fourteen. So we'll see the next part of uh, what happens to to Moon Knight in this early early uh, iteration of him um, in a future episode. Right now, though, I think I will throw it back to Sean. So he can give us a, a bare bones for our modern run. Now, before Sean gets into this, um, I'll just give you the details. 
This is uh, Moon Knight Volume 5, Issue Number 2. This is uh, Part 2 of 6 of The Bottom. And this uh, part is called Fear More Than God. It was released July 2006, and it had writer Charlie Houston, artist David Finch, inker Danny Mickey, colours Frank Darmada, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and editors Corey Settlemeyer and Axel Alonso. So, um, please, Sean, take it away. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean from OTV to bring you the narration of Moon Knight, Issue 2, The Bottom. Fear more than God. Alone in the dark, at the rundown estate of Grant Mansion, an old and tired Mark Spector reflects on his service to Konshu and his life as a hero. Spectre is scathing at himself and what he gave up in order to serve his god. It leads him to reflect upon his rivalry with Bushman and to recount the horrors which had led him to his current debilitated state. We flash back to the past and show Bushman and Moon Knight in the midst of a battle in what looks to be high above the city skyline of New York. They're on the rooftops and each bloody blow is exchanged with another bloodier blow, with no one looking to be the clear victor. Spectre reflects on this fateful battle with Bushman and concedes that their long, ongoing hatred for each other inevitably led to sloppiness on Moon Knight's behalf. What once were slick moves are now old tricks, and Bushman ultimately gains the upper hand and hurls the fist of Kanshu off the roof edge. With sickening violence, Moon Knight hits his head on the metal fire stair balustrades on the way down, before destroying his legs and breaking both his knees as he crashes down below. He cries out to his god, Khonshu! Before hitting the pavement with more wet snaps of broken bone and battered flesh. Spectre's self-destructive reflection of the event leads him to blame not only himself, but ultimately, Khonshu for leading him towards this destiny, a destiny which has left him a broken man. In the flashback, a half-dead Moon Knight lays crumpled in the alleyway as Bushman descends and unsheathes a machete to finish off his foe. A bloodied grin escapes his lips, but underneath the moonlight, the Avatar of Vengeance strikes out with one final flurry of hope and throws crescent dart after crescent dart at Bushman. By the fourth dart, which lodges itself in Bushman's throat. Bushman falters and collapses alongside Moon Knight. Amazingly, the battle still rages, and in an act of pure savagery, Bushman bites into Moon Knight's face with his sharpened teeth and tears away at mask and skin. Moon Knight fights back amidst the blood and wounds and finally gains leverage over Bushman and takes out another crescent dart and proceeds to cut the face off Bushman. Born from the hatred he has for Bushman, as well as a warning to all other criminals that he is someone to be feared, Moon Knight leaves Bushman for dead and thrusts his skinned trophy up toward the moon in an almost angry defiance to Khonshu. Spectre recalls all of this as he sits alone on the floor at the feet of Khonshu's statue, with the pale moonlight drowning him in his self-pity. A knock on the door startles Spectre out of his trance, and Samuels, his butler, introduces a guest for Spectre. It's his old friend, Crawley. 
Crawley wonders whether Spectre's return to the mansion and the unveiling of the old statue of Khonshu heralds a return of Moon Knight, a hero that has gone missing years ago after the fateful encounter with Bushman. It appears this is not the first time Crawley has visited Mark Spectre, and Mark is irritated at Crawley's incessant talk. He demands the drugs which he had requested from the aged acquaintance. Crawley can only sigh and comply to Mark's demands, and so he hands Mark the bag of painkillers, which he managed to procure via his own street connections. As Crawley leaves, he mentions to Mark that his old partner, Frenchie, has requested that Mark see him due to some unforeseen trouble. As Crawley leaves, he mentions to Mark his old partner, Frenchie, and that Frenchie's requested that Mark see him due to some unforeseen trouble. Not having made contact with Frenchie for a long time, for it appears Mark has not been in contact with anyone he knows for a long time. Mark is left surprised at Crawley's last words, which are left lingering in the air. He calls Samuels and requests that he get the car, much to Samuels' delight. It would appear Mark has been a hermit for a while now, and so the thought of Mark going outside, even if just for lunch, puts a smile on Samuel's face. Mark pauses and contemplates whether he should take the painkillers which Crawley just handed to him. If he does take them, he will continue his numbed, self-destructive existence, but he thinks otherwise and pops them back in the bottle. Finally, elsewhere, another lone figure smokes quietly in his office as a man in a suit rushes in to tell him news. They want you now! Asset Prime is moving! That could only mean Mark Spector. The mysterious smoking man scans the man in the suit and immediately a flood of information is gathered from telltale signs. Cheap shoes, bad breath, and glint in the eye are all he need. In a mere glance, the smoking man is able to sum up all the faults and traits of the man in the suit and by doing so, foresee his actions. The smoking man is the profile and he's eager to profile Mark Spector. And there you have it. And remember, stay valiant, my... Wait, sorry, wrong show. Stay true to Kanchu, my friends. Thank you very much, Sean, from Only the Valiant. Uh, almost uh, <laughs> almost forgot where he was there for a second, but uh, no, no. Um, sincerely, many thanks, Sean, for a great narration. And um, yeah, yeah, uh, we'll put all um, in our show notes we'll put where you can find Sean's podcast of Only the Valiant. Uh, they have a... A, uh, a Twitter uh, account as well as a website and a Facebook group. Um, yeah, and I'll give a shout out for that in our Spectre Call section of this podcast. Now, getting to, let me just crack open. I've got here a trade of Charlie Houston's. I'll open it up in front of me. And let's get into this review of issue two. Um, yeah, overall impressions from this. I thought, uh, I thought this was a, again, I thought this was a very solid issue from Charlie Houston and David Finch. It was a nice follow up to issue one, which, uh, which we read last week. Um, and it, uh, it did, I think it did the right things, you know, in the fact that 
we got a lot more of an explanation of, you know, how Mark got to where he is now. And it actually reveals a lot of things here. So, um, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, um, it was, it was quite, it was quite gruesome. Um, I question whether, you know, whether it should have been part of Marvel Knights or, or Max because, uh, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, it's quite graphic. Um, the art, I think, is superb. It, it, it suits the, the stories perfectly. It's grim and dark. Um, very similar vibe to the first issue. Uh, yeah, and, uh, we get a little bit, uh, just a tease then again from Charlie Houston, um, to keep this, um, the story going along with the introduction of a couple of other characters. But no, highly enjoyable this one. Um, and, uh, yeah, similar to the first issue, uh, not too heavy on text. So you could really easily burn through this again quite, a, quite, quite quickly. Um, and, and it's what I've done with a lot of, with, with this Houston run actually. I've, I've reread it a few times. It's, um, it's very easy to read and it's, um, very nice to look at. So if we go into, our four main aspects, uh, let me just bring that up now. Yeah, our four main aspects here. Um, the first one, I thought the main one, uh, is an explanation of Marx, and you see it from the beginning as well. Uh, a lot of the main aspects are towards the beginning of this issue, uh, is the explanation of Marx, um, of Marx's legs and how he got to where he is now at the bottom, you know, how he's kind of a, a bit of a wreck. Um, and we, we get a, um, a quite a graphic retelling of his encounter with, uh, the Bushman, who, um, who is one of his main arch nemesis, arch nemeses, uh, and they have a, an absolutely brutal fight, um, and this explains the lead up to, to Mark, uh, to Moon Knight, um, yeah, becoming crippled, um, and so what happens is that we see, we're kind of dropped into beautifully drawn, beautifully dark, um, panels by, by David Finch. And we see uh, a battle that occurs in the rooftops between Moon Knight and Bushman. We don't know, you know, the, uh, the context of this. We don't know what happened beforehand. All we know is that these two massive titans are fighting against each other. And they are fighting what it looks like to the death. So there's a lot of blood here. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of carnage here as, uh, as Moon Knight and Bushman go toe to toe. And it's very much an even battle. Um, you have Moon Knight, uh, standing over Bushman in one of the iconic images of him, um, of Moon Knight. Uh, but then you have Bushman not giving up and he's got bloodied, sharpened teeth. Moon Knight's got a bloodied truncheon. Uh, they're still kicking and punching each other. Bushman flings Moon Knight against a, uh, a chimney stack and it, it's, uh, the force is so great that it, it kind of cracks the, the chimney stack. Uh, there's more blood everywhere. Moon Knight's got blurred vision. Um, he throws his truncheon, um, you know, at the, all at the same time. It, it's kind of Moon Knight's narrating it saying, look, you know, I was, I was too complacent. You know, I got a bit sloppy with, with, um, Bushman because we've fought so many times before. Um, and it just continues with the violence. Bushman comes in with a knife and he slashes Moon Knight across the chest. He then does, you know, as all evil villains do, he licks his bloodied blade. Um, and Moon Knight doesn't give up. He fights again. There's more slashing with, with knives. Uh, Moon Knight grabs Bushman's neck. 
Uh, Bushman does the same to Moon Knight. Um, they're really struggling. Like these guys are really evenly matched. Uh, and again, just a crazed look on Bushman's face. And uh, the artwork by David Finch is fantastic. Moon Knight's bleeding out. It's a it's a real a real battle. Uh, and then we see one of the uh, pivotal moments of this issue in one of the main aspects I was mentioning. Uh, Bushman manages to push Moon Knight across the edge of the uh, the roof, and then he just pushes him off. And uh, Moon Knight, you know, I guess his his cape is tattered. He's already a little a little injured and ragged, and he hits. Um, it's quite heavy. He hits his head back of his head against the balustrade of the fire escapes uh as he descends uh his legs get caught and they hit the fire escapes as well uh he tries to ride himself and he lands but as finch draws it so well he lands really awkwardly and um and his legs just kind of snap underneath him uh so we we see how Mark ends up in, in the wheelchair and, and, you know, why he is kind of out of action. And it was this brutal, um, fight with Bushman. Uh, so as he, he's lying pretty much, and again, you, you see, it's quite sickening here. You see his knees mangled beyond repair. Uh, he's just lying down there and Bushman comes down to try and finish him off. Um, and this will lead up into one of my other main aspects, which is a, a massive point in um, in Moon Knight history, um, I guess, and and with his uh, his rivalry with Bushman, we see uh, as we continue this, as Bushman tries to to get to him to finish him off, uh, Moon Knight just chucks all these crimson darts at him just constantly, and uh, and we just see more blood and 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 Bushman slowly wobbling, um, a little you know, not as sure as he as he is before. And, uh, and again, the graphicness of it, we see, um, we see Bushman, uh, with a few crescent darts on his shoulders, impaled in through his throat. Uh, he's bleeding out as well, and he collapses right next to Moon Knight. Uh, they're still going at it, these guys. Uh, and my, yeah, my second aspect is coming, Looney. You probably know what it is, um, but I'm building up to it again. Uh, Bushman's still fighting, and he comes in, and he crawls over to Moon Knight, and he sinks his sharp teeth into Moon Knight's face and rips off part of his mask, and I'm assuming part of Moon Knight's face, because there's blood everywhere. Moon Knight is, you know, not down for the count yet. He punches back uh, on Bushman, and this is one of the biggest points in Moon Knight history, uh, and one of the main aspects for this issue. We see <coughs> Moon Knight then uh, take out a crescent dart, and in graphic fashion, we see Moon Knight carve the face of Bushman, basically skin his face alive, uh, and rip it off and, and, um, hold it up to the moon. And he shouts out Conchu as well. Uh, so he would have done this while Bushman was alive, I take it, um, because if you look at the previous panels, Bushman's looking up at him, kind of snarling at him, um, but Mark does this absolutely insane thing and cuts the face off Bushman. Um, we then see Bushman just lying there. He is a gory mess. You would assume that he's dead, um, because, you know, it'd be pretty hard to, to live through that, I think. And, uh, and Moon Knight's obviously got his, um, his broken knees and legs there. So, two big aspects there, loonies, for, for this issue. Um, 
we see the origin of, of how Moon Knight is or why Mark is as he is now in this in this uh, volume five issue, and we see the totally horrific, um, I guess, display of, of Moon Knight's insanity as well, and that the lengths that these two will go. Um, to get the better of one, one another. So Moon Knight definitely comes out, I guess, on top with that one. Um, ish, oh, the third aspect, uh, and I've touched upon it, is basically the gore of this issue. You know, I thought, um, yeah, I really thought this, this should have been like a Marvel Knights or a Max issue for sure, because... Uh, having read a lot of the Punisher Max series and, and some of the other Max series, well, the Punisher Max series is quite, quite graphic as well. Uh, but this is up there, you know, uh, although it, it's just this one act, um, or this, this fight scene, it kind of, uh, tamed itself a little, um, towards the end of the issue. It kind of stops with the violence. But the, the confronting, um, graphic, gore and violence of this issue was um was one of the big takeaways of this issue and i think it goes a long way to to making this this whole run by houston quite memorable he's uh he's introduced this thing into moon knight history uh and it's it's still going now it's become one of the most important things um in moon knight's history and it actually informed a lot of the subsequent uh series of moon knight so if you look at uh, Vengeance of the Moon Knight. You look at um, you look at Bendis's run. You look at the Ellis run. Uh, all of them where um, where Mark is is kind of haunted by Conchu. Uh, it all kind of it all kind of revolves around this. Like with Vengeance of the Moon Knight, um, you have basically Conchu depicted. Um, Oh, hang on. No, that was, uh, you have Conchu depicted as, as, as Conchu on the shoulder of, uh, of Mark. But, um, in the later run, sorry, of Benson after this as well, you have, you have, uh, a dead Bushman. Um, you have Conchu depicted as a dead Bushman. And obviously this, this, uh, instance here has haunted Moon Knight and, uh, has deeply scarred him. So, one of the big things that Houston has brought to Moon Knight is, uh, is this event. Uh, finally as well, um, I thought one of the other main aspects here was, uh, actually towards the end. And again, you know, the end, nice reveals of stuff. Um, and at the end here, we do get the introduction of the profile. He turned out to be quite an interesting character. I thought in um, in Moon Knight, and he was used, uh, you know, across. Uh, he was used across uh, many arcs as well. I've just finished reading, rereading uh, Shadowland Moon Knight. He's used there again. He, he approaches um, uh, the Dark Daredevil, um, try to uh, you know uh, offer his services to him, uh, and we get a, a first glimpse of the, the profile here. And I like the way that. Um, his power set is encapsulated. Uh, the profile is very unassuming character, but he is indeed, I think, a mutant. And what he can do, he uh, can literally do what his namesake says. He can profile anyone. So he can read anyone, and it's almost like a um, precognitive thing, because he can, he can predetermine what people will do, because he knows them kind of so well. 
And this last page, which, uh, or last couple of pages, so you see him baked in, uh, in red, red colouring here, and we, and you see a, a gentleman come in asking him that, well, telling him that he, uh, they want, they want to see the profile now. Uh, we see the profile profiling this guy, and, uh, I like the way it's illustrated. It has a, a lot of just, um, text, uh, and, and arrows and circles just, just basically highlighting a lot of, um, points about this person. So, you see that what the profile sees is, um, that this guy will die young and unloved. He date raped his first lover. Um, he hates his mother and hates a brother. I'm just trying to read the words here. Um, he's got bad breath. <laughs> uh, overgroomed, so he's vain. Uh, underwear is too tight. Um, says he pee shy. Cheap shoes. Uh, and I think later on he mentions that he's a bedwetter and all that. So, uh, he kind of sums the person up just by looking at them. And I think this is, um, although we don't see much of him in this issue, uh, just the significance of this character later on in the Moon Knight arcs, um, is enough, I think, to warrant it being a main aspect of this issue. So, um, so pretty cool. Pretty cool there. Uh, yeah. And the art, that's pretty cool as well. Um, so those are the four main aspects, and I can't not mention um, Crawley. So I've got actually Crawley in here uh, in my notes, a couple of the notes here. So as uh, as I said in the synopsis, Crawley um, comes in, and he you see that he supplies Mark with his painkillers, uh, and Mark's obviously at a very low ebb of his life, and uh, he just relies a lot on these drugs to kind of... I guess take the pain away. Um, but what we also have from Crawley as well is that what he mentions, uh, in his very, um, verbose way is that Frenchie, basically his Gallic friend, um, says hello. And Crawley says that he is in a spot of trouble and he is speaking for Frenchie, um, that, that he needs help from Mark. So this is a little bit of an impetus uh, for for Mark to hold off on the painkillers. You know, uh, it gives him a bit of a bit of uh, a bit of time to, I guess, to absorb, you know, his life as it as it is going, and uh, and maybe he should hold off on the painkillers and uh, go out and see Frenchie. Uh, so not much is revealed in this issue yet, but we'll get to the the later issues of this run. Uh, there's a you know a slightly complicated relationship now with um with Frenchie and Mark, uh, slightly strained as well. But we'll get to that, uh, and um, we'll get to also the significance of Crawley uh, mentioning to Mark that Frenchie has called for his help. So um, we'll get to that soon. But yeah, yeah, I thought I couldn't not mention Crawley in this issue. Uh, it's always good to see him again. It's good to see him with his tea bag. I love Crawley's tea bag and how he just like, he uses it, I don't know, hundreds of times. Um, and how he's always got slides around him. Uh, the other little note I'm going to show as well is that there's a little bit of the supernatural here. You have Crawley um, looking up at the Statue of Conchu, and then when Crawley looks away, you see for a, for a, a second the eyes of Conchu light up. And then when Crawley looks at the statue again, it disappears. So 
the um the presence of Konshu uh, is very much there, very subtly done by um by Charlie Houston. But I like the use of the the statue uh, and just that kind of ambiguity as to whether or not you know is Marx just seeing that, or Crawley certainly doesn't see that, but we see that as well. So um, yeah, very very cool stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me see if there are any other notes here. Um, no, other than again, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, the, the text is pretty sparse here, so the, the pictures do a lot of the storytelling, um, which is not to say that, you know, Charlie Houston is not, you know, holding up his end of the bargain. I'm sure he's, uh, laying out a lot of this and he's describing a lot of this to David Finch. Uh, but yeah, it's a, um, it's a very, a very accessible issue, um, and I like the introduction of both uh, the profile and of Crawley as well. Uh, just another little thing to drop. Uh, so the profile seems to be working for a faction. Uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll reveal that soon. But um, all I can say, and for those that have read it, probably know it anyway. Um, there is a particular group. I guess that is reintroduced, that is, uh, that Houston reintroduces, uh, which is very much part of Moon Knight history. So, um, it's good to see that Houston's, um, tapping into, you know, into the, uh, the law of Moon Knight. So that's pretty cool. Uh, as for Crescendar ratings for this, I guess I'll have to give it something. Um, look, I, I really enjoy this again. I, I think I gave the first issue, Four stars. Um, I'll have to give this four point five. I'll have to give it a bit more. I really, I really do enjoy it. Um, whereas the first one was a, a setup, the kind of, and usually first issues are it sets up. You know, for those that don't know Moon Knight, it kind of gives you a roundabout impression uh, and a um, a summary of, of who he is. Uh, that was pretty much a setup. Uh, this one in. The violence and revealing, I guess, both Bushman and Moon Knight's, I guess, terrible injuries, uh, it really did open up the floor to, um, to, I guess, the, the Moon Knight history of this. Uh, and, and, yeah, it's hard not to ignore, it's hard to, yeah, not ignore the, um, the graphic nature of this, uh, and it just, it just sets the tone of this whole whole series. It, it kind of reaffirms the tone of it from issue one. Uh, I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed seeing Crawley back as well because um, we saw Marlene and Frenchie introduced uh, in, in issue one, which is great to see them. So it's great to see all the all the um, players here. Uh, we still haven't seen Gina or Ricky and Ray, um, but it was great to see Crawley, Samuels, obviously, uh, and it was good to see... The profile as well, introduction of a, of a significant character. So yeah, I'd have to give it four and a half. I really did enjoy it. Um, and Looney's, you should highly recommend this, you guys, to, um, to, to pick it up. Um, as mentioned, similar to issue one, it's readily available, I guess, across the board. You can get it from Comixology. Uh, it's out on trade, uh, soft cover and hard cover, uh, single issues. You can still find them on eBay and, and, and I'm sure you know, possibly, um, your, your comic book store. 
uh, Marvel Unlimited, which is where I think Sean from Only the Valiant has been reading um, this run. And I'm hoping, Sean, that you read all of it because it is a ripping read. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's it. So available, uh, across a lot of platforms there. Uh, highly recommend it. Four and a half. Um, love it, love it, love it. Well, uh, loonies, I think that will, uh, pretty much wrap up, uh, this episode. Uh, just the, uh, the first solo episode, I guess. It's been very, very strange. Um, speaking. Um, just here by myself, but, um, but it was a great, a great read, both these classic and modern runs. Uh, I hope it does kind of, uh, pique your interest to, to pick them up or hunt them down. Um, and we have plenty more coming up anyway. So with, uh, with next phase, as mentioned, hopefully we'll have Chris, Chris Jones from Defenders TV podcast. He'll be joining us. Uh, we'll be talking to him. Uh, love, love to pick his brain about podcasting as well as Defenders TV podcast. I'm a massive fan of theirs, so, um, and, and a massive fan of, you know, of Derek John and Chris just as podcasters, so, um, totally stoked to have Chris, um, on board. And as mentioned, Chris is a Spider-Man fan, so, uh, we'll be doing a double classic run, uh, next phase as well, so, uh, we'll be doing a spectac- Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 1, Issue 22, which is called By the Light of the Silvery Moon Knight, and Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 1, Issue 23, Guess Who's Buried in Grant's Tomb. Uh, we'll also have Chris do the guest narration. Uh, it may well do a live narration for us, which will be pretty cool. Uh, and, uh, yeah, looking forward to, again, just, um, reviewing these two issues with him. Uh, very, again, classic, uh, Bronze Age, I think, issues. Uh, but also, at the same time, very, um, very classic Spidey as well. I, I really enjoyed reading these. And can't wait to unpack it with Chris and Connor. Uh, Spectacle. Again, these are our shout-outs. And again, I would love to shout-out Sean, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce the surname, Sean. Sean Neprid, um, from, he's a guest narrator from Only the Valiant, Valiant Comics Radio. Uh, their website is onlythevaliant.com. They have a Facebook group. You should get on it if you interest, if you're interested in Valiant or just good comic books in general. They're on www.facebook.com slash groups slash onlythevaliant. Uh, and they're also on Twitter. Um, their handle is at only the valiant. So very easy to remember there. Uh, thanks once again, Sean. Uh, it, it was so cool to finally have you on board as well. Um, I do hope you enjoy uh, your further readings of Moon Knight. Um, and if you need any more recommendations, please just hit us up or, um, or drop us a line, uh, in the group. Or, or on Twitter or, or anywhere across that we're, that we're currently residing in. Um, so thank you again, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Well, Looney's where uh, I'm about to sign off here. So as per usual, I just like to let you know where you can find us. So, uh, as per usual, you can find us on email at moonnightpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a website, intothenightpodcast.wordpress.com. 
uh, and we also are on Facebook. Um, so facebook.com slash itkmoonlight. Uh, our Facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash into the night. Uh, we're also on Twitter with at itkmoonlight. And, uh, yeah, we're also on Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. So just search for Into the Night, that's with a K, a Moon Knight podcast. Um, also, as well, quickly, I'd just like to mention, we are part of something called The Collective, which is, um, which is still in its infancy, uh, but it is a podcast network, an informal network of like-minded podcasts. So, <clears throat> as mentioned previously, um, we are with um, the likes of Inner Demons, a Ghost Rider podcast, Sons of the Dragon, Immortal Iron Fist podcast, uh, Adelan Rising, which is an Inhumans podcast, uh, Namor uh, podcast, which is about the Submariner, uh, we have the Fantastic Cast as well, which does a, a, a cool job on the Fantastic Four, which basically does a, a classic run uh, throughout history of all the Fantastic Four appearances, uh, as well as uh, not just character-based podcasts, but also the likes of Defenders TV podcast. Um, we have a Hulk podcast, uh, Uncanny Nerdverse podcast, which is an X-Men podcast, I should say, uh, and uh, I Am Your Target Demographic uh, capes and lunatics. There's a, there's a few there. I hope I haven't missed anyone there, but I will put on a link in our show notes where you can access all their websites and their Twitter handles and, um, and I guess a paths to their podcasts themselves. So definitely check them out. Um, we're trying to build it and it's great to have support from, um, some, from podcasts so we can kind of prop each other up, which is fantastic. Uh, also, as well, uh, just around the corner, my gosh, it, it begins very shortly. Uh, we are doing a podcast crossover, um, the crossover podcast crossover event of 2018. We're teaming up with Defenders TV podcast, Sons of the Dragon, the Iron Fist podcast, and Inner Demons, uh, and we're covering all of the Damnation event on Marvel. Uh, so that is the Doctor Strange Damnation event which will feature all of our character-driven uh, namesakes uh, and more. So as mentioned, um, I think Defenders TV podcast will be covering Doctor Strange. Ghost Rider will be doing Ghost Rider, Iron Fist, Iron Fist. Uh, we've uh, picked up the uh, we've picked up the tab to do Scarlet Spider, so not exactly Moon Knight, but I'm sure Moon Knight will be there um, somewhere. Uh, and we'll all be doing the, the core books as well. We'll, we'll be doing an issue each, so cannot wait for that. Um, I believe the first uh, crossover episode will be featured on Sons of the Dragon, uh, an Immortal Iron Fist podcast, so please keep your eyes out for, for that. And uh, I strongly urge any of you loonies out there, or listeners, um, to try and catch all four podcasts to get the entire coverage of the Damnation event. It should be fun. I am super excited about this. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yep, yeah, just can't wait to, to get cracking. I think the first issue comes out, um, 21st of February. So shortly after that, you'll get on Sons of the Dragon, uh, the first review, which will be Damnation issue one. Uh, yep. Yeah. So anyway, loonies, thank you so much, uh, for hanging around for my ramble. Um, it was a bit of a slow start, but like a diesel, I, um, I kind of got there, hopefully. Um, 
if you can just wade through the babble at the beginning. Um, hopefully it all made sense. <laughs> um, I'll hope to see you across any of our social platforms uh, and looking forward to hearing from you. Please, if you can, um, just drop us a line, uh, tell us how we're going or uh, let us know what you think about the issues we're reviewing. Um, yeah, it'll be great to hear from you and we're more than happy to, to read them out. Um, and I guess that's me signing us off. So may Conchu watch over the denizens of the night. Catch you later. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.